Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. Hey, what's up, everyone? It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. Thank you for making us a part of your day today. We appreciate you being here. It is our ongoing series with the Medical Association of Georgia. I'm very pleased to have with me in the studio President of Medical Association of Georgia, Dr. John Harvey. Thank you, C.W. Good afternoon. Bringing his radio voice in here with us. And we're going to be talking about the Medical Reserve Corps here in Georgia. He is the medical director for the Medical Reserve Corps in Georgia. And the Medical Reserve Corps was created by President George Bush, part of the USA Freedom Corps. He wanted to foster a culture of citizenship and responsibility. And then the Citizen Corps is a component of the USA Freedom Corps, and it creates local opportunities for individuals to volunteer to help their communities prepare for and respond to emergencies. And of course, that's somewhat of a timely conversation. Uh, Given the the events of the last few days, we had a hurricane going up the uh, coast of Georgia, and who knows, we may see it again. I don't know if it's determined to uh, continue its right-hand turn or not, but uh, part of the, the Medical Reserve Corps is helping the community members be able to have a bit of a plan and know where to go and to have resources available where they want to converge those resources and so forth. So I'm really pleased to have you here. I know there's some opportunities for members of the community to participate. So I'm glad we're here to talk about it. Yes, sir. We are very happy with the progress of our Medical Reserve Corps here in the state of Georgia. It is the one under the Medical Association of Georgia is rather unique in that it's the only Medical Reserve Corps that is housed under the State Medical Association organization. Medical Reserve Corps are generally local entities that uh, respond and assist with local communities, but we felt there was a need in the state when we looked at our state responses to have a Uh, potential mobilizable physicians and medical dedicated team that could go to areas that were overwhelmed when we had something as we had last week with the hurricane that went all the way up the coast and pretty well paralyzed 13 counties. That's right, and impacted a pretty good-sized city um, and some resort areas as well. We can just break right into it. I mean, did the Medical Reserve Corps, I would assume you got mobilized to some extent to help handle some of those issues? Yes, we were um, working with the State Emergency Operations Center and were available for deployment. Uh, They did not have a requirement that we had to do our primary function, which was uh, the capability of setting up a emergency surge facility, hospital, Uh, We didn't have massive casualties because the storm stayed off the coast. We were also available working with the EOC needs if the mobilization of the patients, as you know, they evacuated hospitals, nursing homes, and medical facilities along the coast and moved those patients inland. So we had uh, physicians that were available that could have been deployed to help with the manpower to care for those individuals if necessary. And so you're saying being a part of the 
association gives you the ability to, I guess, enhance some of the educational offerings that these individuals get access to as part of their being a member of the Medical Reserve Corps? Yes, I've worked with some disaster responses in the past and learned some lessons from that. And one of the things that became very apparent is that many physicians are more than willing to assist or to mobilize in the event of an emergency. But one of the things that often was not there in the past is the capability for being self-sustainable during that mobilization. For an example, if you go to the site of an emergency and say, well, I'm here, I'm a doctor, I'm here to help. They say, okay, we'll just wait there. And once we have a task, you know, we'll get you. You say, okay, where am I going to stay? Well, we we don't have any hotels or anything. You're in the middle of the disaster. We don't have a place for you to stay. Okay, well, I'll just wait over here and, you know, where can I get something to eat? Okay, well, that's the second problem. We don't have the the background for provisions right now. So we have uh, training that our physicians and our medical teams have gone through to be prepared to go and be self-sustainable, not expect those things, understanding the background, and be prepared with the training and prerequisites to, number one, be self-sustainable. The second would be that they understand the structure of the emergency response and the fact that When we're mobilized, we will have a specific mission task assigned, and that is, in fact, our mission priority, rather than to just kind of go and see what you might need to do. Who is coordinated what what role you're going to play or what what you're going to focus on when you arrive on the scene? All of that's coordinated through the State Emergency Operations Center, and they coordinate a number of activities in a number of what they call ESF areas, the ones that the medical team responds to is ESF-6 and ESF-8, which is the delivery of emergency medical care and the provision of the care in the mass shelters and, and relocation areas if there are medical needs there. So the EOC would determine if there were needs that required uh, a medical team And then they would assign that as a specific task. If we were capable of providing that task, we would then be mobilized in conjunction with the other operations that the EOC was accomplishing. Now, I know one of the functions is the capability of being able to establish mobile on-site hospitals, for example. With resources like that, are you doing that in conjunction with National Guard or other entities like that? Where does where that equipment, I guess, would be probably housed and stored and so forth, but you're collaborating with them when those are going in? Is that how that's working? Yes, and in fact, that that's how the the whole operation unfolds. We, uh, on my bio, I've worked with the State Defense Force, which is our third branch of the Department of Defense, but working with the Air Guard, the uh, Army Guard, and the State Defense Force, the operation would be defined, and they would assist with possibly transportation to get us there, get the medical team in. We would then deploy the surge hospital facility and render it functional, meaning it's an inflatable tent that has the capability of heat, air conditioning, protection from the elements, and then we get the medical equipment in it, get it up to where it's functional, and then could be ready to manage casualty care or whatever 
type of care would be required in that area. And then we would work with the local either MRCs or the local facilities in providing that care on site. Talking with Dr. John Harvey, he's the medical director for the Georgia Medical Reserve Corps, as well as president of Medical Association of Georgia, learning about opportunities to participate, volunteer with the Medical Reserve Corps when your um, help is needed, learning a little bit about what is required for those folks who are interested. What do I have to do to become a part of it? Because as Dr. Harvey was talking about, if you're not part of the Medical Reserve Corps and you show up on a scene, it may be challenging for you to actually volunteer your services because they won't know who you are. They won't have anything validated about you and won't necessarily have logistic support to handle you being there from food and water to uh, places to stay. And, and talk a little bit about that, Dr. Harvey, in terms of what you're looking for from the perspective of human resources. Well, first of all, it is a medical reserve corps. So from that standpoint, we have medical professionals, doctors, nurses, paramedics on the team. But it's not exclusively the medical personnel because there are many other functions that go with having a functional team. We have administration to help us uh, sign in and keep track or keep records with all our patients. We have logistics that helps to provide those things we just talked about for our team. While they may have carry snacks and water with them when they first supply, first deploy, we will need supplies before the event gets too far. And we actually can work with our own group as well as with the state to deliver those supplies. One of the things you just mentioned is very important, and that is the authority and the credentials to respond. So one of the first things that we have done with our uh, team, and our, especially our professionals, is that they register in the Serve Georgia Volunteer Health Professionals Registry. That way, we already have a concurrent list of their credentials, their hospital staff privileges, they're standing within the state, and we can go, if we were deployed, say, to a hospital, we can say, all right, here's a list of our group. These are the doctors, their capabilities, their specialties, and their current status with the state so that you can feel comfortable in allowing them to get emergency credentials at your hospital. So they can actually plug into a local hospital if it's functional and available but need some extra manpower there are circumstances set aside so that those physicians and other healthcare providers that travel in, you're saying then could actually potentially function right there as part of the hospital staff, at least temporarily. Right. Under the governor's declaration and the president's declaration of an emergency, it allows for that capability. And then with the Medical Reserve Corps, we facilitate that by having all of those credentials immediately available to us through uh, Kiva Williams, a part of our our team too, who can immediately show that John Harvey is a trauma surgeon, is currently credentialed with a active state license, and uh, you know he works at Gwinnett Hospital as a, one of the trauma surgeons. So all of those credentials are immediately verifiable for any other facility that we'd go to. Now, are there particular specialists that you're looking for that that should be a part of the Medical Reserve Corps, or is it really any healthcare professional or other community volunteer? It's any healthcare professional and any 
volunteer that wants just to work as part of a medical response team. Okay. And so let's just say that one of our, one of our audience out there is listening and they say, yes, I want to, I want to participate. I've been thinking about this. I heard somebody that, that, uh, that was a member and, and enjoyed their, their participation in this. What do I need to do? How do I get involved? Well, they'd called the Medical Association of Georgia office and talked to Miss Susan Moore, and she could explain a little bit more about it, send you all of the paperwork to get you started with the uh, criteria as far as you and your function, the waivers that would be required for you to participate. We'd send you a list of prerequisites, which are some uh, FEMA courses that are specifically aimed at training you into understanding the hierarchy of the NIM structure and the response uh, functions. And then you would be uh, trained further with some training exercises that give you on-scene type management trials. And then you'd be incorporated into part of the deployable team. Now, you brought with you some photographs of a, of a recent event showing some of that training. Is that what we're talking about? These folks in the photographs that you shared, are those new individuals coming through that sort of onboarding process that you're talking about? Yes, we've had three or four training exercises over the past year. As we discussed, you've seen the pictures. They were at a training facility where we put up the surge hospital. People understood then how to erect the tent, set up the HVAC systems to get it climate controlled, understand how to hook up the water systems, and how to get it functional. That was one of our first training exercises. Another was the patient reception area, much as we had with the Katrina Rita hurricane evacuation, where we had patients that were brought in and had to be offloaded from either military or commercial aircraft, put into an triage and assessment area, and then translocated to other hospital facilities that had agreed to accept the patients. So they learned the entire process for that from doing litter barrier, taking the patients off of the aircraft into doing triage assessment, into transport control, and actually putting them on an ambulance or a a transport bus to take them to the shelter facility. How many folks are we talking about currently participate in and make up the Medical Reserve Corps? In the first year, we've had a number of people that have demonstrated interest, but I'm very happy to say we have about uh, 50 people that are in the process or have completed uh, not only the waivers, the Serve Georgia documentation, the FEMA courses, and then a training exercise or two that makes them fully understand and capable to, at this point, deploy. We had last week during the hurricane an availability that we reported to the State Emergency Operations Center of between 20 and 25 that could have deployed as a team to assist with whatever medical function they would have determined was needed uh, at the EOC. We would have then had the capability to call on some others that might need to backfill that function because it does need to be a sustainable effort. And our typical deployment period for the Medical Reserve Corps within our, our state association would be anticipated at 
somewhere between 12 hours to at maximum 72 hours. On a given event, you're saying? Or? On a given event. Now, is that for a training type event, you're saying, or is that for an actual? No, that would be for an actual event. And that's based on the fact that if the magnitude of the event is significant enough to require continued resources, which would be the, the deployment of a federal uh, disaster medical team or backfill from the military National Guard units, it takes anywhere from uh, 24 to 36 hours up to 72 hours to deploy those federal assets. So we would serve in the function kind of from the early time up until the time we could hand that off to the federal backfield deployment teams, which is, again, part of that whole plan that we talked about earlier from the federal government uh, that would, in a major disaster, start fulfilling those functions at about that time. When I decide that I want to participate in the Medical Reserve Corps and make that commitment to begin the process, go through some of the training courses that you're talking about and so forth, once I'm accepted in as a member of the MRC, what's my ongoing commitment? How much How much time on a monthly or quarterly basis, when barring anything from happening that requires us coming out for an actual incident, how much ongoing time am I committing to as a professional? That's a great question, because when we first started this, that was the thing that all the doctors would always, or the medical professionals would say. Well, how much time, you know, I'm really pretty busy. Yeah. The After the last drill that we did, the more common question was, wow, this is cool. When do we get to do this again? Yeah. Because it was, it was truly something that you're learning new techniques, you're learning things that you don't do on an everyday basis. And most everybody said, well, this is, this is worthwhile and a lot of fun. We have done um, four training exercises this year, about two to three months apart. Two were aimed at the kind of shelter facilities that we would have to put up, the looking at the tent, looking at what we need to do to be prepared to function in a of environment like that. The other two were patient reception areas where we were involved in exercises with other agencies and responded to form a portion of the patient reception area. And we learned to work in, in conjunction with doing your mission task with multiple other agencies that would respond, such as EMS and ambulance transport companies, the military for patient mobilization and movement and work with the military teams to offload the aircraft and then other physicians that may be doing the triage or the assessment in the hangars and the, the shelter uh, assessments. So you learn how to integrate the services with the other teams that are deployed. And that's working at the local level all the way up to the federal deployment level. So you've got several offerings throughout the year that you can come and practice some of the skills that you would use when you get deployed to an incident. Are there a minimum number of those that are required versus this is being available? We'd love for you to come out. We felt like that probably after two training sessions that people would have the background and understand the requirements for deployment. They may still feel a little uncomfortable with some things. They may feel like, man, I'm ready to go. Uh, it kind of depends on the individual background and the, the preparation. But that's what we've looked at. And people seem to say, gee, that's, 
that's good, but I want to continue my training. And we're trying to continue training that will uh, reinforce and further the specific capabilities for each of us to deploy. Uh, Right now, we're looking at being involved in a rather large exercise next spring that will be a federal emergency exercise, much like what we've just done, which was aimed at, at a tornado response. But we will be working with multiple agents, agencies to uh, accomplish the purposes of that disaster exercise. We're sitting down with Dr. John Harvey. He's the Medical Association of Georgia president and also medical director for the Georgia Medical Reserve Corps as part of MAG as well learning about opportunities to contribute to the community in times of disaster, uh, particularly natural disasters, as he was describing uh, major storms. We just had one pass through as a hurricane. Um, But but of course, here in the Southeast, we were also prone to some severe weather that can lead to tornadic activity and flooding and other major uh, meteorological events. Before we went on the air today, Susan Moore was talking about the fact that uh, there are opportunities for people who aren't actively clinicians may not maybe never have been she and i both have been in nursing in the past and i talked about the fact that i'm not clinical today or licensed to do any of that kind of work in a hospital setting or other setting today but it sounds like there's still opportunity for me to be a contributing part of that team that shows up and and some of the things that you talked about make it somewhat obvious about what i might be able to do in terms of carrying litters and perhaps driving a vehicle that's shuttling people back and forth. I don't know what those functions would be, but it sounds like you don't have to be a clinician to be able to contribute and make this thing work. No, in fact, we need other people besides clinicians to make our team functional, The starting with the first thing that we have to do for us to have a team as the director or the commander of the team. The first thing I need to know is who's here, how many people we have, of what capability. So we have our own administration that checks the people in, keeps the logs, keeps the, you know, when people go home, because we need to know who's there, be sure we have all our people safe. And so just that function, administration, is a significant portion of our team. Then we have operations, again, under the typical NIMS management, National Instant Management System. Uh, operations would interface with EOC or with the on-the-ground emergency operation to get our mission tasking, and they would bring it back. We would then formulate what our plan would be to accomplish the task we got, and operations would put out exactly how we were going to do that and who's going to go where. Like I said earlier, logistics, we would at some point need to be looking at the Equipment or supplies that we need and logistics helps work with the interface with either the state EOC or with our own background to be sure that all of our people have the the equipment and the function they need to to do their job. So safety operations and security. We need people, of course, to be watching and protecting all of our team members. And that's another function that we have within the team. So we have some people that are trained in that function and can very capably help us. So you can see there's a wide spectrum of non-medical jobs that we have that go along with the team. Well, now, if if I'm not one one of those 
healthcare clinicians and I want to participate, do I know coming in roughly what I would probably be contributing? Or I would imagine, obviously, these situations are going to be potentially very fluid. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling that it's probably not a very good environment for me to say that's not in my job description. Um, it, It would sound like these incidents often turn into you're you're one of the only people here we need you doing this even though your your pay grade may be up here it may be doing some menial testing i mean if i'm volunteering i'm not a physician i'm not a nurse do i have an idea of what i'm going to be doing or is it more of a, i'm just here tell me what to do part of it's i'm here tell me what to do from personal experience i worked with the as i said the katrina rita translocation i worked on the flight line when we were offloading the aircraft, we had everyone in the military from privates up to colonels that were moving patients on stretchers. Nobody really cared about rank. The purpose was to get these patients in to where they could be cared for. Now, you did need to have authorization to go out there, so part of it is understanding what you, in fact, are authorized to do. But if you were part of our team, and identified as that was our function, then certainly you could assist with that also. That's the other thing that we do. We, you know, if someone, let's say, injured their knee last week and said, you know, I don't think it's safe for me to try to unload the aircraft, then certainly we're going to say, yes, we agree with that. What we want you to do is to stand here with a clipboard and log off the uh, a patient by their identifying number or, you know, when they go inside. So there's certainly a variety of jobs that are typically available to accomplish the emergency situation. Uh, in the realm of what you mentioned a minute ago, most of the team members or the people that want to volunteer to do this are of the type personality that when they get there, it's like, give me the job, whatever you want to do. Let's get the job done. Talk about that a little bit, because I would imagine, it, even though this is not a military entity, I'm sure that there's a measure of hierarchy. It's you, you yourself are military by background as well. So I'm sure there's a bit of command structure, if you will, throughout the organization, such that it's not just, I'm here, I'm part of the team, I'm going to go do this. This is what right. I feel like contributing, so that there's a bit of organization you know what the federal and state authorities are hoping that you'll be handling so you can then start to delegate among your team. Absolutely. The NIM system actually grew out of either the military chain of command on the military side or the fire structure emergency response chain of command where they found that if everybody kind of understands the system, then no matter what agency you come from, you know the basic system. And you can fit into it. And part of the the thing, just as you describe, is learning to, okay, this is my mission task. This is my function. I don't get into the next guy's function because he has his own group doing his task. So we stick to our mission task. And once we complete that, we report back that we've completed our mission task. So, yes, there is a train. That's part of the training that we go through that makes it a cohesive team so we can work together to accomplish that assigned mission task purpose. When it comes to the serve GA situation, talk about serve GA and how that fits into MRC. 
The serve GA function is uh, not just for medical professionals, but it is for people that are willing to volunteer. And it does, it's a, a computerized process that you can put in your specific talents and capabilities and what you're willing to assist with. And that, like I say, is immediately available to the scene commanders and to me as the Medical Reserve Corps so that I know not only medical capabilities, but also other special talents that many of our team members may have. I'm a pilot. I'm a private pilot. If we're having to do air operations by that background, I understand a number of the specific things that may affect the aviation side and can share that with our team members. Um, as I say, we have people on our team that that do security. They're trained with security backgrounds, and they can provide us with safety briefings or preps of, okay, we're in this type of environment. We need to be careful about this. If you see any of this, you need to let me know. So those capabilities are also listed in Serve Georgia as special capabilities that team members may have. And it may run to also administrative functions uh, or finance functions. One of the things with deployment that would be very important for the team is that we have somebody with finance tracking any expenditures that we might have, any resource needs that we might have, any out-of-pocket costs that we might have, because ultimately that needs to be justified back to the state or to the federal government for if there's any plan for any reimbursement. Maybe a goofy question, but if I am providing these types of volunteer services in uh, an incident area, whatever the issue is that we're dealing with, what about my medical legal exposure? I know a lot of providers, nursing and physicians are worried about that in certain situations. Am I covered by some? Is it just my standard professional coverage that I bring with me as a as a provider or or is there kind of some some sort of cover for me for being there and contributing in that situation? Actually, under the Emergency Powers Act with the government, when he enacts those emergency powers, which are what we're actually activated under, that changes the liability structure for the professionals that are volunteering their time. And so I feel comfortable that we have people that would uh, protect us. Can I say there'd never be any kind of mm. concern raised? No, you know the legal environment we live in. Yeah. But I think I feel comfortable that if you were, in fact, operating with an authorized team under a specified mission that came from the state, that the state would be exceedingly interested in being sure you were appropriately protected. It sounds like there's some opportunities to be deployed that aren't necessarily catastrophes. Can you talk about some of the different things that you'd be going to provide support for that maybe not an emergency? Well, certainly we um, the training that we talked about earlier, the training is, is uh, fun, but it also helps various municipalities or hospitals to meet requirements for emergency response drills that are required to keep up various certifications for the hospital or for for various municipalities where they really test the resource capability. So that's one thing that we would do that would be of advantage and certainly wouldn't be involved with some catastrophic injury or, or problem like that. 
There are many of the MRCs that work with just basic uh, community safety and preparedness programs. We, with all the individuals that we have that go through the training, part of the training is how to protect you and your family in an emergency. CW, you're going to sign up as soon as this is over. And so if you were going to deploy, the first thing I'd want you to do when you deployed is to be sure your family was okay. Because if you're there to help me work and you're worried about your home or your family, then you can't fully focus on what's going on. So the MRC trains you in uh, family and personal preparedness also so that you have a translocation point where you know your family's going to go to be safe. You know that your pets are, have a, an emergency transport bag with all of their little credentials in it that shows they've had their immunizations, has a pack of food, water, any medicines they're on, so that they can go with your family to wherever they're going to have to deploy, and even if it's a shelter, that they will be able to get care and shelter there also. Uh, we have a specialist that actually has a whole blog and website on preparedness and how to have your family, your home, and he even had a blog that we sent out last Saturday as they were preparing to repatriate or people go back into the area, and he put out the safety tips that you need to be able to go back in safely uh, that were were very helpful. If you've never done it, you don't think about buying gas at every gas station you get to so that when you get back home where the gas stations may not be opened, you at least have enough gas to drive around, making sure that you still have supplies of medicines and food available because when you get back, there may not be food or you know none of the right. restaurants where you usually go to get a bite to eat are going to yes. be open right after a disaster. So from that standpoint, the the training that we give is very helpful to people that luckily have never had to live through one of these and learn it by the hard mechanism. And it gives you that comfort with, gee, I know my family's ready. I know I'm personally ready. I can now go help and and truly be of help. What what sort of size of team do you think w- would you strive for to feel like okay we're we're in good shape? You mean the total yeah, membership if we, if in we the had MRC a, team? Yeah, if we knew we had X people participating, I think we'd be in good shape. We actually developed kind of a pro forma of what we wanted to accomplish. Miss Moore was very helpful with our federal application and our development of those standards, and we looked at wanting to uh, have 100 people by the end of the first year. If we had 50 fully trained and deployable by the end of that year, we would have felt like we had accomplished our purpose. Uh, By the end of the second year, we're hoping to have 100 to 125 that are deployable. Now, by deployable, I mean not only taking the courses and understanding the requirements for being deployed, but we also are providing uh, uniforms because a visible authorized response is important mm-hmm. so people know what who we are and what we're doing. And second, some basic equipment to get us across the initial breach of deployment until the supplies would 
would meet us. And that was the thing you mentioned earlier. Yes, with this team, because it's part of a coordinated effort, the Georgia Department of Public Health, if it were a massive medical mission, would actually meet us there with a massive supply of medications, vaccinations, dressings, whatever we would be needing for that deployment. So it's a very coordinated effort. And that way, I don't have to try to figure out every medicine or every suture kit or what I'd need to take because I can feel comfortable knowing that if I can do first aid or team management until we get to the site, that at the same time, a transportation group is bringing all of our medical supplies. We'll coordinate at the site, and all we've got to do is to get it unpacked and functional. Well, it sounds like there's some really great opportunities for you, whether you're coming from a nursing background, a physician's background, or somewhere in between, or if you're just a member of the community and you want to be able to be one of those folks that turns out to be a resource in times of need, such as a major meteorologic event or some other situation that would require some additional medical support for a given region where something has occurred, emergency or not. Sounds like there's a nice opportunity for you if you want to participate. I assume going to the MAG website would be the biggest thing they need to do just to indicate there's a place that you talked about that I can start the sign-up process, have somebody reach out to me. Final thoughts before I let you get back to the office? I think this is an important way for professionals or for people that wish to be involved in a medical mission to effectively respond. I think that's the most important thing is to be able to provide an effective response in a coordinated fashion in conjunction with all of the capacity that you would want as a, as a professional to be able to respond, be it doctor or nurse or be it a professional uh, administrator. Um, even our logistics guy is a professional in that capacity. And I tell you, when we do training exercises, he owns one of the local restaurants. And I tell you, we eat well. I have to give him credit. So uh, so Matt does a great job for us. And uh, we always enjoy that, too, because he's got some, you know, again, good support for the team. That's the biggest thing I would say is that it truly is a coordinated function in which you can feel comfortable that wow, I'm going to get there and have people that know how to support each other. And I'm not going to be out there all alone trying to figure out if I have the stuff I need to do my my response work. From the perspective of equipment and so forth, do you have everything that you need or are you in, interested in locating partners in the community that might be able to contribute some sort of resources, whatever that might be, equipment of whatever kind? Certainly that's one of the things that we look to in the next year. I think this is a great asset for the community. And uh, certainly we are going to, through our uh, capabilities with MAG, hopefully have uh, corporations or individuals that may wish to donate to support this purpose Mm -hmm. and this function throughout the state. We will be using that for uh, basic equipment and also for basic training that individuals would go through. Uh, As you can imagine, that training while important, can also be costly when you're talking about working with, with, you know, translocation on aircraft or trucks or buses. or So we try to make all the training very realistic, and there is a fixed cost to that. 
So that certainly through MAG, we would uh, appreciate people considering the donation. Actually, let's make that the investment, because if it's your emergency in the future, True. it may well have a good return on investment. Sure. A little bit of uh, concern there would get people that can effectively respond to help you. Get over to mag.org, find out more about how you can participate in Medical Association of Georgia's Medical Reserve Corps. It's been a pleasure having Dr. John Harvey, their medical director, and of course, MAG's president with us in the studio to talk about the Medical Reserve Corps, um, what it's all about, the the services that it's providing, and the the need that they have for you to contribute your time and, and uh, availability uh, for yourself and your family and your neighbors, possibly to an event around you somewhere. You never know. Uh, so it's a, a treat to have you here to talk about this. I know that there was a lot of folks that checked it out we, when we first introduced it. So I'm really happy to be talking about what you're trying to do today. And if you've not done so already, in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the Top Docs Radio Show podcast on iTunes, so you can subscribe to us. And that way, each week when the new episode comes out, it's downloaded straight to your device for you, waiting for you to check it out when it's convenient for you. And we hope you turn around and share this information. You might just be putting something out there that makes a big difference in the life of somebody that means something to you. So for the folks that put it out on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever the platform may be, we'll say Thank you very much. All the folks over at Medical Association of Georgia, it's been a treat working with everybody over there. So uh, I look forward to having you back here in a couple more weeks. Thanks for uh, coming out again. Thank you very much, CW. It's uh, a great honor. And I want to give a big shout out to all of the members of the team that were available. So helpful last week in our, our availability assessments and able to communicate with the state operations team because they truly, uh, the people that volunteer to do this deserve a special consideration. Thanks so, so much for all those people that are part of that team. And and as we see, just a couple of days ago, we had an event coming through affecting our state where your services could be uh, valued and, and utilized for sure. So everybody out there, I really want to say thanks so much for making us a part of your day today. I look forward to catching up with you same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 